Hello, and welcome to Straight from the CPA's Mouth. I'm Laura Lee, Director of External Relations at CPA Alberta, and I'll be your host for today's show. This episode features Sam Virasekara, and we're going to be discussing great advice, the importance of volunteering early in your career, and how the CPA designation provided Sam with the tools to pursue a career overseas. I heard that future casting is an essential tool for long-term business. According to a recent poll, 48% of Canadians say they are $200 or less each month away from again? Do you think the energy sector is Filter out the noise. Hear it straight from the CPA's mouth. Thank you, Sam, so much for being on our show. We're really, really excited to have you here. Do you want to maybe kind of introduce yourself to our podcast listeners? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me here today, actually. Um, My name is Sam. I was born and raised in Calgary. I went to University of Calgary as well. Very adventurous. And I uh, pursued accounting there and I started working at PwC in 2015. And after being a summer student there in 2014, And recently, I just moved to London, England to pursue a job at Harry's, which is not really a startup anymore, but, uh, and I'm an operations accountant there. Okay, so we will talk about your work with Harry's very shortly. So in the previous podcast, our guest posed the following question for us to discuss and answer. What is the best advice you have ever received? So Sam, what is the most valuable and helpful piece of advice you've ever received from someone? I've recently received this advice and it was actually said at my convocation for getting my CPA designation from Rachel Miller, the CEO of CPA Alberta. She said that it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. And I love that piece of advice because I think that is integral to anyone's success in the workplace and truly anywhere really you go. And I think community is a really big thing for me. And competition is great. It drives you to success. But I think that also being kind to your competition matters as well. Yeah, I'm sure Rachel would love to hear that she was the source of your, the best advice you've ever received. So why did it resonate with you at that time? Why was it the perfect advice for you to hear right at that moment? From my perspective, throughout my life, I was never an top grade student. I was always interested in several different extracurriculars. And a lot of my extracurriculars actually had to do with volunteering. Not that that being nice has to do with volunteering, but I thought it was really important to meet different people from different paths and make sure you have an open mind when you meet them. And I think with the CPA designation, what the cool thing is, is that you meet so many different people in your clients and your cohorts and everything. And it's important to be kind to people because at the end of the day, this is your community. And I don't think I would have been able to get my CPA designation without my community around me. Oh, okay. And I think when she said that, I mean, I've never been the person who's said, oh, I need to be the CEO of a company or I need to be this or I need to be important within our community. I just wanted to be part of the community. Mm -hmm. And I think what's nice about that is, you know, you get to this point, you graduate, you get this designation, but if no one likes you along the way, really, what does it really matter? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about the importance of community. How do you define community and what's, what's your community? So my community is stems from many different areas. I think 
Community, what does that mean to me? That's a really good question. I think it means being able to be part of something bigger than just yourself. That sounds a little corny, but I think it's important to be able to collaborate with others. And I think it's important to include others from different, um, I'm going to say pathways again, I can't really think of a better word, but, and because it teaches you, I think about how to be strong in your roles. I'm sorry, I'm, I need like a second almost to think about that no, question. Okay. Um, I feel like I'm going to interview with the, when you're doing a job. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I need a second. Um, what, from my perspective, I have a community in volunteering. So whether that be at the children's hospital and being able to see these amazing, you know, nurses and doctors who, and communities that meet there and working with the PALS organization that go there to, you know, be able to brighten people's days. I have my CPA community and whether that be people I met through PwC or through University of Calgary, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone is driving everyone to be successful. And I think that is important. And I think I like that. I like that everyone is driving each other to be successful. I don't really believe in putting other people down, but I think it's also because I believe in, you know, other people's successes are not my failures. I'm just as proud as other people in that sense. Mm -hmm. And so community means to me the collaboration of others, you know, positive vibes to make everyone better. It's interesting that you say that because, I mean, people, you talk about professional jealousy, right? Then you see people's successes and you're saying that just because someone is successful doesn't mean necessarily that it's, it takes away from your own success and your own achievements. Um, I think it's really important to look at other people's success and learn from it. So I love looking at all these amazing CEOs of startups, whether it be the startup I work at right now or Glossier, which is one of my favorite companies, um, Bumble, for example. And I love learning lessons from them, but them being successful doesn't mean that I'm a failure in the process. Mm -hmm. That just means I have other things to work on. And I think that that is really important to recognize because the people that I find who are most successful in my, in my community and in my circle are people who are constantly trying to improve themselves. Mm -hmm. As a student, what were some of the successes that you learned from that motivated you? Within university or in a CPA designation? Either or. Okay, so it's funny when I was a student at U of C because I, when I first started in sciences, like I said, I was not a straight A student by any means. I had to really work hard to you know, keep my grades afloat. And I think when I switched into business, that's when it really kicked me into gear to actually be interested in doing well in school because I wanted to get into the business faculty. And so I think like one of the successes that came from that was, you know, looking at people around me and saying, you know, how did these guys do it? Like, how are they in business? How are they excelling? And truly a lot of them just put their head down and work at it um, with no excuses and just focus. And that was a really big learning opportunity. And that led to my success of even switching it to business. Mm -hmm. And my friends and I talk about this all the time. You know, if you put your mind to anything, you can really do anything. And I thought about that a lot when I had started my own micro business. And I think that that is always kind of what I'll always keep in the back of my head. If you work hard and you, you know, there's this Cardi B quote that talks about <laughs> uh, stay humble, but or stay hungry, but be humble. Oh, it's a good that, one. Yeah, that, that I think is really important to do when you are trying to be successful in anything yeah. that you pursue. I kind of wish that you're the person that gave you the best advice was Cardi. Then we could say that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think I butchered that quote. I'm not going <laughs> to you. Um, 
So what other great advice have you received throughout your career? I think another really great piece of advice I had received is it's not always about the opportunities you take, but it's always sometimes it's about the opportunities you're given. Okay. And I think that ties really well back to being nice to people in your circles because sometimes people don't want to give you opportunities because you're not a nice person. Mm-hmm. And I think being nice, I, I, it's not a general statement. I think that means you know working hard, showing people that you care and that you're thoughtful about what you want to pursue. And so with the opportunities that you're given, I think people will sometimes go out of their way to be like, you know what, I know you're going to work hard at this and I want to be able to provide you with this. Because even getting into an accounting firm, I didn't wasn't I never really thought that I would necessarily be the best candidate to go into an accounting firm. I actually just applied just to to see if I get in, if I'm completely honest. And you know, I obviously I think that they saw something in me when, where I wanted to work hard and I wanted to pursue something different that was different than working at Lush when I worked at Lush or <laughs> working and serving and them being able to review my experience and say, "You know what? Maybe you can actually apply yourself and be really good at something. Mm-hmm. Is there such a thing as being too nice? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And I think I have definitely, you know, seen that in the sense of you don't want to be naive. Okay. Being nice doesn't mean you're a pushover. Mm-hmm. Being nice is being able to not think of everyone around you as an opportunity and thinking at everyone as an equal mm-hmm. and as everyone around you as someone to l- learn from. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, particularly where you're early in your career, you meet people. Everyone has an opinion about what you should be doing, where you should be going. How do you decide whose advice is worth listening to? Yeah, because I think everyone seems to have an opinion of what you should and should not do, right? So that's a really good point. I think it's when you admire someone else's hustle and you look at someone and you say, you know what, I admire you and I admire your successes, Mm -hmm. so I will take what you say. And I think I will take that to heart. When do you think someone should take someone else's advice and when should someone listen to their own gut instincts? Where's the line between that? That's a good question. Um, because you know they, they talk a lot about what your intuition is and how you follow your intuition. And it really depends on the context. Okay. I think that people who give the best advice are people who are going to map out a conversation with you so you come to your own decisions on something. And so that's driving that intuition mm-hmm. aspect. Uh, but I think that comes with taking someone's advice, you know, what resonates with you? What are your values? And what is important to you in order to pursue? Yeah. I think if you were to talk to me, lots of people told me a lot of advice, even going into a firm. I had an offer actually from firms and then I had an offer at an oil and gas company. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people told me to go take the oil and gas company because they're like, well, it's more money. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I'm at the beginning of my career. I really don't care that much about money. Mm-hmm. I'm just happy for the opportunity. And where am I going to learn the most? What is going to create the most foundation for me for the future? Mm-hmm. And so that's when I went with that gut instinct and said, okay, these are my values. This is what I want. Mm-hmm. And that's where that difference comes into play. Okay. So you mentioned um, during your introduction that you recently moved to London to work for Harry's Grooming. So what motivated that? Was it an intuition thing? Yeah, that's a, a good question. So I, you know, I was really happy at PwC. I really love everyone there. I think, you know, I had just switched to consulting as well. 
And, but something I had never really actively pursued, again, going to the fact that, you know, I went to University of Calgary. Mm-hmm. I lived in Calgary my whole life. I'd never lived anywhere else. And of course, that doesn't necessarily mean you should, you know, live across the world or anything like that. Um, but I thought I would just try. And I have a British passport. I'm very fortunate to have that. And so I thought, you know what, I never, I, this is, if I'm ever going to do it, I have no responsibilities. I don't have like anything here going like that I have to stay here. Mm-hmm. And so I just applied and wrote good cover letters. I think that's an important thing as well. Yeah. And I just applied to many different companies and I was actually choosing between a job in uh, the States and then London. Wow. Yeah. And, but for me, when I looked at Harry's, you know, I loved everything they represented and I really liked how the team was going to build up. Mm-hmm. Again, that's when a lot of people were giving me advice on where to go. And when it came to Harry's, there wasn't this butterfly feeling even about pursuing it. Mm-hmm. It just felt right. Okay. And so I just said, okay, I'm going to sign this and this is where I'm going to go. Okay. So for those of um, who are listening who don't know what Harry's is, what, what is Harry's Grooming? Absolutely. So Harry's Grooming is a company that was a startup that focused on razors. They were sick of razors being extraordinarily expensive, having these crazy security tags. And so they, the two founders, uh, just Jeff and Andy, basically decided, you know what, we're going to pursue this. We're going to create the new shaving category. And they bought a factory in Germany and started producing their own blades. And now we just actually launched into hair care this past week. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, it is. Did it start off as a subscription service or? It did. It did. Yeah. So it's a direct to consumer business, how it started. And actually they are in Walmart and Target in the States. And now we are in Boots in the UK, which is kind of Canada's or their version of Shoppers Drug Mart. Yeah. Um, so what's the market? Obviously if it's expanding, but just as a general question, what is the market like for a male grooming subscription service? Was it initially, did it take off from the start? Did it need to grow a little bit? Absolutely. I think, you know, from my perspective of looking at the business, they were able to grow quite significantly. And the main players in the shaving category were Gillette and Schick. And I think at Dollar Shave Club, I, I can't remember the timeline right now. Um, and so Harry's was able to, you know, tap into a really amazing market where, you know, we had these old players and then said, we're going to shake things up. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest thing is, is they maintain quality with also a great price point as well, which I think everyone can agree is something that they would want. And recently we have just, uh, we're in talks with a company called Edgewell, which actually owns Schick that is buying out Harry's. So it's exciting to see the company be able to kind of graduate to this next level and this next chapter. So what do you do there, Sam? Yeah, so I'm the operations accountant of the UK. So I get to work with people in supply chain management. I sometimes get to work with people in brand and I get to work closely with inventory. Working for Harry's Grooming, have you learned anything surprising about men's grooming needs or their regimen? I think I always knew that men like simple regimens, but I think the difference between, I guess, the male grooming category versus maybe um, the women's category is that women are excited about skincare and excited about, you know, washing their face and we will watch endless YouTube videos about it, whereas men are not that pumped about it. (laughs) You know, they're just like, this is just something I do every day. And so that to me was 
kind of like, a, oh, I, I never thought that shaving would just be a regular thing. Like mm-hmm. they don't think too much about it. Have you noticed any differences in how British men style their facial hair versus how Canadian men style their facial hair? <laughs> I think, Are there trends? I think it depends on what area of the city you're hanging out in. <laughs> it's most, a lot of beards. Yeah. And, uh, but I think there's a lot of beards here in Canada too. <laughs> the reason why I ask is because I was reading or I saw on Game of Thrones about the people who do the wardrobe for Game of Thrones and they were saying how depending on where the characters were from, like the people from um, King's Landing had a different facial hair for them and the people that were on the night's watch had different facial hair so I just thought I wonder if there's some sort of real life translation for that (laughs) that's that's really funny I think it's honestly based on trend I think like beards are a big deal but I think people are also really into the clean shaven look or being able to perfect their beard I mean it depends on what's cool right now you know but I don't think people have stopped shaving I even have told my dad I'm like have you ever thought about growing a beard and he just refuses (laughs) he's just not interested (laughs) so um is your role looking after operations accounting ever affected by, say, trends in shaving at all? Or is it just kind of steady regardless of what's going on out in the world? That's a really good question. I think, you know, with any role within a shaving company that can be impacted by shaving. Um, I mean, there was actually a statistic that happened with when there was the recession in 2008. Men started shaving more and it was because people were looking for jobs so they wanted to be clean cut. Oh. So it can really vary. And because shaving is so based on personal preference as well, I think it's personally less impacted by trends. I think it's more impacted now more so on what messages companies are putting out there. With the internet, everyone having an opinion, companies have to be so careful about what they talk about. So you mentioned earlier that um, Harry's was recently bought out. What role do you think you'll be playing in the transition? I think I'll continue to work really closely with inventory um, and then also working with any synergies that they put our our way. Um, How do you see your designation helping you in this transition? Does it, what kind of skills do you think that you'll be using, what kind of training from your education background? Do you think that you'll be able to apply as the company works through this transition? Yeah, so I think a big part of that will come from my experience working at PwC. Um, Even with, you know, obviously working in the accounting designation and learning so much from CPA, you learn so much about um, these kinds of cases, I guess. And with regards to how my education will apply to it, I think obviously that skill of uh, your basic knowledge, I guess, and your knowledge that you've learned through the CPA designation will come into uh, come into play. Mm-hmm. And so it will, I think it, there are many different aspects of CPA. If I was to honestly narrow it down to one thing, I yeah. don't think I could. Okay, fair enough. So this isn't your first foray into kind of the cosmetics, you know, skincare, all that stuff. Because you actually, you're an entrepreneur and you started your own cosmetics line um, called XX Cosmetics. So what led you to create your own cosmetics? Where, where did your interest in cosmetics come from? Yeah, so I had worked at Lush when I was in high school and to university. So I worked there for about seven Christmases. That's kind of how you measure your retail <laughs> <laughs> life, lifespan. And I remember working there and thinking to myself, you know, one product that is just not done well is lip balm. It's oh. always, yeah, I always found that if it was good, it was always in a pot. And I hated putting my finger into a pot. I hated, um, or if it was in a tube, sometimes it was cheap and it was used, using cheap ingredients. Yeah. And so I always kind of thought that there was never a great lip balm out there. Yeah. And so in my, after my first busy season at PwC, I just wanted a little bit more of a creative outlet. 
And I remembered this idea that I had had. And I went to a store in Inglewood where they sell all the raw ingredients to make like lip balm and oh, product okay. and yeah, things yeah. like that. And $70 later, I was making lip balm in my kitchen. Mm -hmm. And I just kept on formulating and formulating. And, you know, I think I've always just been interested in cosmetics and what's in them, especially probably more driven from the fact that I worked at Lush. Yeah. But my friend makes this joke. She actually texted me this today. She said, you're the most low-key, high-maintenance person I've ever <laughs> met. <laughs> and I think that comes with just the territory of just being interested in cosmetics. Yeah. So what factors did you have to consider in creating your own product and starting your own business? I think when I first started, it was more so being nervous, putting an idea out there. It wasn't making the lip balm. If anything, that was the easiest part because okay. I just... It was felt like I was cooking. It was fun to make things in the kitchen. It yeah. was fun to try out different scents and you know what worked, what didn't work, and giving it to my friends and letting them give me feedback. And that was the exciting part. I always knew that I wanted to call it XX Cosmetics or XF Mom because of kisses. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, and so I always knew that that's yeah. what I wanted to call it. It was just more so, you know, that vulnerability of saying, "Hey, everyone, I have an idea that I'm going to sell to you." Okay, here it is. Yeah. And, you know, that I think was kind of the scariest part about starting it and one of the biggest considerations. You know, if I'm going to fail at this, how am I going to fail at this? And what can I do to prevent it? Yeah. Do you still do all the lip balms yourself or have you found a production line that does it? Yeah. So you're kind of catching me on a weird day, actually. So today's actually the last day my store is going to be open. Oh, okay. I've recently decided to just wrap up the business and kind of put it in a kind of a drawer to be like, okay, I'm going to open up this later. Yeah. Um, but, when I was doing the business, I was making all the product out of my kitchen. Yeah. Um, thank goodness my parents are really accommodating people. <laughs> and uh, but I early on I realized, you know, I might actually have a bigger demand for this than I think. Mm -hmm. um, my first goal of selling the lip balm was only four hundred lip balms. I thought I'll sell four hundred lip balms. That will be my goal. Let's yeah. see if I can sell them. And then before I do it, it's like, okay, I got to find a production line. Okay. There was this amazing manufacturer in Vancouver that I worked with. And he had the same ideals as me. And we started manufacturing it at his, at his manufacturing facility. And uh, he shipped me the product and started selling it. Yeah. yeah. So if today is kind of your last day, how are you feeling about it? So I told the world that I was closing down XX when I was on my way to an alpaca farm. <laughs> I, I'm like, I love alpacas. Super, okay. Super random fact. Who doesn't? By yeah, the way. who doesn't? Who doesn't love alpacas? So I think I've been able to like comfort myself in ending this chapter pretty well. Yeah. But I think it's funny because I think it all comes full circle. It's so cool to be here in a podcast, being able to talk with you about it. Yeah. And, you know, everything that I wanted out of XX, I've been able to get. And I'm excited to now do different opportunities that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. So I feel good, actually. Good. I feel like I'm ending on a high note. So what are these opportunities that you're that you're looking forward to? I think I really want to pursue so it's interesting moving to London because so much of what I did in Calgary can't really come with me. So not volunteering at the hospital is something I yeah. don't do anymore. And then, you know, even just being able to go to national with my friends, like I can't do that anymore. You know, I have to find a new place that I go to with all my <laughs> friends all the time. And I have wrapped up so many things here, which have made me who I am. So I'm starting from scratch in a new city, I guess. And that's in terms of, you know, all my extracurriculars. So as for opportunities go, the world's my oyster. I would like to pursue something in a side hustle perspective. Um, what that might be, who knows? 
who knows right now, but I have some ideas percolating. I don't think I'll say them right now. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, so looking back at the whole experience, what did you learn from being an entrepreneur and how do you think helping creating your own brand and your own company helped you in your career? Yeah, so I think that's a kind of like two-part question. I think the first thing I learned a lot was about failure. When I first started XX, I was so nervous about showing everyone what I, what I, what I had been thinking about for so long. Um, and what I had created in terms of a brand and everything. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I could really fail hard at this. But then I thought, you know, how can I fail hard at this? Mm -hmm. No one buys my product? Okay. No one buys my product? Yeah. Lesson learned. No one likes your lip balm. And, or your branding's not right. Or there's not a market for this. That's okay. Mm-hmm. And then I thought about, okay, what if someone sues me? <laughs> what if someone sues me? So I thought, okay, well, you know, there's a way to deal with that too, incorporate or, and, you know, get some insurance. And, you know, and then I kind of thought, you know, what if no one likes it? Well, that's okay if no one likes it. Or if that's okay if no one really likes your idea. You know, I tried. And I think that was the biggest thing that I learned from it. And that actually helped me even when I was doing my exams for CPA because. I kind of thought to myself, you know, what is the worst thing that can happen if I fail this exam? Mm-hmm. And it really was, you rewrite it. If you were to ask me this while I was studying, I may have not have said this yeah. exactly so articul- I wouldn't have articulated it that well. But that has helped me in my life in the sense of just saying, you know, just try. What's the worst thing that can happen, really? Well, and obviously, that's kind of, I guess, great advice coming from you, considering the fact that you picked up and you moved to London and tried this whole new experience in your yeah. career. Um, to answer your other question with regards to, you know, how has it helped me in my career? I think a really big thing is, I mean, I don't think I would have been able to apply to different startups and get interviews with them without it. Mm-hmm. I'm reading this book right now called Lynchpin, and they talk about, you know, for your future employer, what can they see? What can they tangibly see that you've done and applied yourself to do? And what's cool about XX is I could literally show to someone, you know, I was able to start a brand. I was able to learn about supply chain in a really micro way, but I was able to do it. I was able to manage customer expectations. I was not only able to do that, but I was also able to balance my time with pursuing CPA because I was studying for my exams at that same time and you know, working at PwC, which is not going to be like it's it definitely takes up time your time and it's busy and it's it's a lot of work. Um and so I think in that sense, when I was applying, when I said, you know, I can manage my time really well and I like to be able to learn new things, I could show them that really easily. Um, so you moved to London. How long have you lived in London? I've moved there in December oh. of 2018. Okay. So then seven months ago? Exactly. Um, did you experience any culture shock when you moved? Yes, um, I did. I am, So I believe in being polite to people. If someone goes ahead of me, I'm not super fussed about it. Mm-hmm. But in London, everyone will go ahead of you. So you better kind of, you had to put a little bit strong. You have to have a little bit of a spine yeah. <laughs> to be there. Um, so I think that culture shock of just like the general city is just also extremely busy all the time and you're just part of it. Yeah. Um, I think that's also a really big thing about moving to London. You realize how kind of small you are in comparison to a big city, okay. um, which is different than I think being in Alberta where you can really, you you can reach out to many different people and everyone knows everyone. Yeah. Whereas London, it's not like that at all. Did you know anyone in London when you moved? Yeah, I was really fortunate. My mom's side of the family all lives there. Okay. So I always had family around, which I'm again, very fortunate. 
So what are some of the factors that made you confident in your ability to say, I'm going to move to a completely different country, move to the other side of the world, and I'm, I'm going to be okay? That definitely comes from my parents. Okay. My parents moved to Canada when they didn't know anyone, and they were living in London, actually, at the time. Oh, okay. So it's funny. We've done a swap a little yeah. bit. And, you know, they had a sense of fearlessness when it came to it. And they don't talk about it. They just did it. And... I really admire my parents' ability to just work hard and, you know, take whatever's on their plate and deal with it. Mm-hmm. And when I was applying for jobs they were abroad, they were actually really excited because they thought, you know, you will learn a lot and you can do a lot and you can always come back to Calgary. And what role do you think your designation played in helping you go to a different country and making you a great candidate in terms of people looking for people to hire? Yeah, so the CPA designation is amazing for that because you do have that portability. You can go to the States and be able to apply into an accounting role. You can go to the UK and use an accounting role as well. And so I think that that also gives you that confidence because you have that badge of honor that you're like, you know what, I worked hard, I got my CPA designation, I can do this. And so I think that also drives that confidence as well, which gives you that ability to apply abroad. Mm-hmm. And what have you learned about business and finance in England? Does it differ from business and financing in Canada or are the principles of numbers and business the same regardless of where you are? Great question because I actually work for, the company that I work for is, their head office is in New York as well. Okay. So I work with people from New York, so people from who are American, and then I also work with British people. Yeah. Um, and honestly, they're all, not. I wouldn't say they're all the same, but I would say that they all bring something to the table in terms of how they communicate about certain things, whether that be, you know, saying things extremely straightforward, which I also see in British people as well. So Mm -hmm. I don't see that necessarily just in Americans. Um, But I would say numbers are generally the same, I would say, but Mm -hmm. it's how you deliver them and being really straight up with them. And I think it's all the same, actually, when I really think about it. Yeah, (laughs) that's a good question. (laughs) Um, Was there any, did you have any difficulty, you know, translating anything to pounds, to American dollars versus Canadian dollars? Yeah, so we primarily work in pounds because we're part of the UK office. And so in terms of my personal life, I still convert most things to Canadian dollars yeah. just to understand the worth of a pound. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, that was pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah, I recently returned from London and I am really bad at doing the conversion. And so when you look at the dollar, you look at the pounds, I think, oh, look, this is, this is affordable. I can do this. Yeah. And then when I come back and you get hit with that credit card bill, I think, oh, no. I know. I yeah. was not smart about this. Yeah, I remember, I, I think when I first started, I remember getting lunch from somewhere and it yeah. was eight pounds. And someone's like, you paid eight pounds for that? <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, it's fine. And then you go, oh, no, would I pay yeah. almost $16 for yeah. something like that? No, definitely not. Um, so what unique skills do you think you bring to your English colleagues? as a result of your training in Canada? I think it's collaboration. Okay. I think, you know, my office is great as it is in the sense that they're really collaborative um, people, especially because it's a startup, it's an open office and everything. But I think that I still love talking to people. That might be also a Canadian aspect where Canadians just love getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. So I think I br- I'm able to bring that to the office. And I love being able to talk to people from different roles, not just in accounting. My, my team is just three people in the UK. Yeah. And so I get to talk to people in supply chain, which I find is super interesting. I get to talk to people in brand and be able to see how their brains work and you know, being able to work with people even in customer experience and to see what they do on a daily basis. I love all of that. And I think that might be driven from being Canadian, but I think everyone is really great in my office and being collaborative. 
So I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Um, so Sam, you're being acknowledged this weekend by the profession. You've, you were an early achievement award recipient for your volunteer work and your mentorship of budding CPAs. What was your reaction when you heard that you received an award from the profession? When I first read the email, because no one could get a hold of me because I had changed my number to a British number, I read it and I immediately thought something had happened with my designation, like the email, because yeah. the email, I don't know what it was in the subject. And when I read the email, I was kind of stunned more than anything. And I looked at my friend and I said, we were at this Anderson Pack concert. I was like, I want an award. And she goes, yeah, I know. He won an award. And <laughs> like, no, no, no. I, I won an award. He's like, yeah, I know. He won a bunch of Grammys. <laughs> like, okay, I'll, we'll talk about this later. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I, I kind of was more so stunned. And I think that stun, being stunned was a mixture of just feeling so honored. Yeah. You know, I really respect so many of the people who have won this award in the past. So truly, I'm just very honored to be given this award by the CPA, Alberta. So how did your family and your friends react once you, once you took them out of the concert setting and they could actually hear mm. what you were saying? <laughs> I think uh, they were like, cool. They were, I, I, think, <laughs> I think some of them didn't really know. Yeah. And then I was really lucky. I had actually won um, an, a scholarship the year before. So they were like, didn't you already win that? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Kind of thing. And so, um, but obviously, I mean, so many people just had so many great responses. And yeah. You know, my dad being a CMA and CPA and my mom, obviously, she had worked in the accounting field as well. And like, they both were just super excited. Yeah. yeah. Did you want to tell your British colleagues, I'm a big deal in Canada? I, I only told a few of them, but a few of them were like, what were you doing out <laughs> in Canada? Yeah. <laughs> like, are you famous? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They didn't ask that, but they were all very excited as well. So how did you get started with volunteering? What was your first volunteer experience? My first volunteer experience, you know, I don't know how I managed to do this when I was a kid, but I actually volunteered at Pitland. Oh, okay. Which sounds really random because I don't think you can do that at all today. I don't think so. No, I don't think it's a thing. Um, somehow they would let me come in for a couple hours and just like help with cleaning cages and stuff like that. And in turn, I got to play with animals. And so that was like my first volunteer experience. I think the things that really stand out to me was when I was in high school and uh, a few of my friends and I had... Um, worked. We created this organization called Right to Learn that fundraised money for Free the Children, which is now I believe called We Group, um, and or Me to We. I don't know if you're familiar with that. And so we started raising money for that in education in India. And for me, like growing up, I never really had a ton of hobbies. Like I was never really good into sports or anything. I just kind of started working, and I found that was my vibe and that was my hobby. So to fundraise, it was actually super exciting because it kind of gave me an opportunity to organize events and work with different people and all for a really great cause. Then when I got into university, I really wanted to start volunteering with my time. I, of course, fundraising is so incredibly important, uh, but I really want to start volunteering with my time. And I was able to get a volunteer position at the Children's Hospital. And that was such a reality check in the sense of understanding how privileged I was to grow up in a setting where I didn't have the same hardships as a lot of these kids. Mm -hmm. That, I think, for me, when I think about how important it is to volunteer and give back, I think of those things. Mm -hmm. That must have been very very meaningful experience. Extremely meaningful. And I still, I, and I, I volunteered there, I think for five years and, you know, every day you walk away and you go, you know, I'm really, truly lucky. And it's really important to make sure you recognize that in yourself and whatever way that might be with regards to privilege mm -hmm. um, and how fortunate you can be. So have you found volunteer opportunities in England? 
Not yet. I'm still trying to kind of settle in. The big thing with England is depending on where you live is depending on what you might do on a daily basis. But mm-hmm. I'm definitely interested in different opportunities. You know, they have something there called Age UK where people are able to work with older seniors who don't, might not have people and need company. And so that's something I'm interested in, but we'll see TBA for that one. Okay. So you talked about kind of that feeling of gratefulness that you have volunteering. What other skills and experiences do you gain from volunteering? Yeah, I think you get to, I think the biggest thing is, is really bringing yourself down, matching someone else's energy and being able to do something that is for the better. That doesn't necessarily mean it's money driven and you're doing it to make money in any sense, because I think that's one thing that's really clear about volunteering. You're not doing it for any financial gain um, and it's your time. And I think sometimes with, when you're working, you're working full time, you're only doing things to make money. Mm And what's important about volunteering is it makes you take a step back because you realize there's a lot of things that money can't buy. Why do you think someone should volunteer early in their careers? What kind of skills and talents do early career professionals have that is worth giving? Yeah, I think um, a big thing is is people skills. Okay. I think when you are even in the CPA designation because you have have to work with so many different people all the time, um, it puts you in a great place to be in a volunteer position. Even with CPA being, you have to be generally a little bit more organized as a person. And if you're fundraising, for example, organization is key. So what advice would you give to someone in terms of you know, finding a cause to volunteer with and how to balance the required time commitment? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing is just choosing something you like doing. Okay. Don't make it, don't choose something that will be a chore to you. If you don't like animals, don't volunteer at an animal shelter. And obviously time commitment is a really big thing with that as well. I think that there are many different organizations and it totally varies and it varies on your interest level and how invested you want to be. With fundraising, it takes more than sometimes three hours a week. Sometimes you're working on it quite a bit and you're doing a ton of admin work for it, et cetera. Um, but if you're volunteering, sometimes it could be just you know a once a week commitment basis. I've heard of people who volunteer once a month at different places as well, but it's making that time and prioritizing it and yeah. that is based on your schedule. Okay. So part of the Early Achievement Award is acknowledging you as an early career leader. Do you consider yourself a leader? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a good question. I am not sure. I think um, I want to say yes. I want to okay. say yes. I want to be a leader. I, I want to be a leader. And if they recognize me as a leader, that's awesome. And I really hope that maybe people can see my story of volunteering and be like, you know what? That is cool. I like volunteering. I like being able to give back or you know, starting a micro business. I hope that other people see that and say, you know what, I, I do want to start my own business and see how that works out and be able to do it with other things. So if I'm a leader in the sense that I feel like I'm guiding other people to make their own good decisions, awesome. So obviously, I mean, I think you have established yourself as a leader, a great volunteer, early entrepreneur. Do you ever feel pressure to be a good mentor and a role model to people who are starting out? I don't think I felt that until actually recently when I thought about the fact that a lot of things, even that I'm getting recognized with this award, I'm not necessarily doing at this right moment. So I just moved to London, so I, I haven't found a volunteer gig. I feel yeah. I feel stressed about the fact that I haven't found a volunteer gig, okay. for example. Yeah. And so it's and I I feel guilty in, to an extent about it because I'm just trying to figure out my way, and moving to London isn't necessarily a piece of cake either. Yeah. And so there's that aspect as well. So yeah, I do feel a little bit of that pressure, but I think it's more self-inflicted. I don't think anyone's really watching you that hard to say she's failing, she's not a volunteer yet yeah. or something like that. It's part of the responsibility too, right? You feel that probably that responsibility to want to be a good role model to people. 
Yeah, I, but I also, I think one thing to, I make mistakes all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly making mistakes. I tell my boss all the time, I am humbled on a daily basis about the fact that I don't know everything about everything. And it's important to recognize that as well. I think, you know, it. I'm still learning. I'm still so new to the working world. I'm so new to all of us. And so, yes, there's that pressure, but I, I don't think anyone... I always tell people this, don't be so hard on yourself. And yeah. I don't think that that should be something, I think that is also advice I should take in my own context. Don't be so hard on yourself if you're yeah. not a volunteer yet, just moving to London, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, being a role model, I think, if I am one, it's, you also have to be human out of it as well. Yeah. And I think that's incredibly important because most of the people that I admire, they show that human side of them. They show that, you know, not everything is a walk in the park and really easy and, there are times where I feel like I'm being crushed by everything that I have on my plate. Yeah. I'm not saying that these last five years have been a walk in the park. They've been hard. And like there were times where I just needed to even say, hey, I can't come into volunteering because I'm burnt out. Yeah. You know, and I think that's important to say. So what advice would you give to students or CPA candidates who want to be leaders and forerunners in their field, but feel they need to have 20 years of experience in order to make a difference? I think the advice I would say is kind of going back to don't be so hard on yourself and start where you feel like you want to start. Mm -hmm. If you are interested in working, go work, go work, go get everything you want out of it. Um, And that's how you gain experience. You can't, you know, stop yourself from pursuing what you want to do just because you don't have 20 years of experience. Otherwise, no one will apply for anything. No. Don't be like, honestly, don't be your worst enemy. That's kind of the biggest thing. Okay. Just pursue what you want to do. Do a good job of it. Be thoughtful in what you do. Yeah. And um, do it with heart. There you go. Yeah. We started this podcast. It was me asking you what to share the advice that you've received. And I feel like you've given a lot of advice yourself, actually, in the course <laughs> of this episode. I feel like I might have given too much advice. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next for you, Sam? That's what I think right now it's more so, uh, again, settling into kind of my l- new life in London, which is uh, different and, you know, continuing to learn. And like I said, I'm humbled on a daily basis. I'm learning so much from working at Harry's. I have an amazing team there. And I, I'm just taking the time to actually appreciate that and being able to take that time. And then honestly, I would like to actually find a new volunteer position in London so I can give back because I think that is actually really important. And then we'll see whether there's a micro business on the horizon. Who knows? knows? Maybe it will be in five years. Maybe it will be next week. Okay. Well, stay tuned. And when that happens, we'll (laughs) put you on the podcast again. (laughs) Thank you. So this seems like a good time to wrap up today's episode. So straight from the CPA's mouth features Alberta CPAs answering and asking questions about everything and anything. So before we end, Sam, could you pose a question for our next guest to consider and answer in the next episode? Absolutely. Why is money important to you? Okay, thank you, Sam, for that question. Do you have any last thoughts that you'd like to add? Nothing really. I wanted to just say, though, thank you so much for having me. And anyone who might be listening to this and taking my advice, you all are extremely smart individuals already. So you don't necessarily need my advice. Just follow your own heart and you'll be fine. Wow, great. So there you have it, listeners, straight from the CPA's mouth. So thank you, Sam, so much for joining us today and for fitting in a podcast recording during the short week here in Alberta. Uh, Thanks to all of you for listening in and be sure to check out our next episode featuring CPAs discussing money and what money means to them. If you haven't already, be sure to join our subscriber list in order to get access to exclusive content 
such as advice from our featured guests and additional questions and answers. You can sign up and get more information at cpaalberta.ca slash podcast. Straight from the CPA's Mouth is brought to you by the CPA Education Foundation. The CPA Education Foundation is the charitable arm of the Alberta CPA profession, providing up to $1.2 million each year in support of business and accounting education in the province. This podcast is just one of many resource materials available through the HESHI CPA Knowledge Centre. This virtual hub features Alberta CPAs sharing their unique perspective and vast expertise on topics and issues such as leadership, finance, entrepreneurship, and more. Visit cpaalberta.ca slash foundation for more information on the HESHI CPA Knowledge Centre and to learn how Alberta CPAs inspire success.